Welcome to Paddling Adventures Radio. I'm Sean Rowley, and with me is Derek Specht. Hello. What's happening, man? Not much. Just uh, getting, trying to get used to this cold weather. Yeah, it's, it's, it's funny. Eh? All, all summer you complain about the heat. Oh, it's so hot, so hot. Now I'm complaining about the cold. I'm in um, hoodie weather right now. Mm-hmm. So. I've started wearing pants again. Really? Yeah. I'm not wearing pants right now. <laughs> Surprise! <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, it's, uh, definitely getting chillier. There was frost on my window this week. Yeah, there was frost on my windshield this morning when I went to work. It's, I thought it was just mist and, uh, turned on the windshield wipers, they like, scrape. It's like, mm-hmm. oh, it's that time of year. It is. Everything's getting frosty and, and my wife likes it when I leave earlier than her in the morning because usually while I'm waiting for my truck to warm up, you scrape her I windows. scrape her windows at the same yeah. time. But I've noticed that it usually doesn't happen the other way around. <laughs> no, I know. Hmm. <laughs> Isn't there supposed to be like women's lib that are supposed to be equality and we're all that stuff? We're a progressive society, aren't we? And you know what? The fact that she's so short and can't reach the top she, of the windows on my truck. She wouldn't be able to reach your windows. That is not an excuse. <laughs> I'm sorry. Not you can get an excuse. There are steps through us I here. Got, there are steps on the side of my truck. <laughs> you can slowly roll the window down to yeah. scrape the window. <laughs> There's ways if you really yeah. wanted to. If you really loved me. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, it's, uh, it's getting chillier and... Uh, We've got one last canoe trip. I think it's only one last canoe. I think it'll be the last mm-hmm. canoe trip. I've been actually asked if I wanted to do another canoe trip. Even later in November. Even later in November. Hmm. And it might be a hot tent. It'd have to be a that hot tent. That would be good. One. Because it'd be more comfortable. Yeah. But I don't want to. I've, you know, I would love to do a canoe hot tenting trip. I I saw Johnny uh, Stinson did it there uh what, three, two years ago, three years ago, two. Mm-hmm. Anyway, see, it, it shows him loading up. You can see the, you can see the, uh, the stove in his canoe and the tent in the bag. And, and it's like, oh, that's brilliant. Well, Kevin Callan just did one. Him and Christine just did one. A canoe Last in? week. Yeah. The, yeah. it was a Halloween or the week before Halloween. That's awesome. They did. They took it, but I mean, it was, it was an overnighter, but yeah, you can yeah. take it in. And he huh. did one this past, I'm sure it was this past, like last weekend he did yeah. one with, uh, Tim from Canadian Outdoor uh, Equipment Company. Yeah. Um, yeah, they they went up huh. and did one. That would be brilliant. I'd but love yeah. to do that. You know what? I mean, now, if I had the 10 by 10 Esker still, <laughs> I you know yeah. what? I would have no problems taking yeah. it. But the 12 by 17? It's a little heavy, eh? Yeah, it's a tad Bulky. heavier. It's heavy and plus it takes up a lot of room. So you'd have to... Use one canoe for all your stuff and then tow a canoe with the rest of your stuff. If there was two people going solo. Yeah, there you go. And realistically, it would add one because somebody would have to take the stove and somebody would have to take the tent in the center pole or the stove in the center pole in the tent. And if the portages weren't too crazy, like if you weren't doing the Dixon If you're just going one small portage in or something like that. So it's a bit of extra work. I think it'd be worth it. That would be worth it. Mm-hmm. Glamping. <laughs> mm. But it's it's the, what it is for me. It's not that it's because you're you're you know you're glamping and taking it in the easy way. It's like it's just the luxury, the uniqueness of it. Or I'm, what if you were going somewhere that didn't require portages? Uh-huh. Like I think Kevin Callan went on Bates Island. If I remember, he was saying in his video, 
if you go to YouTube to the Happy Camper, Casey Happy Camper, yeah. he's got a video up. And I'm sure they just went to Bates Island on Opiongo. Okay. So you didn't need to portage. So I yeah. could bring the circus tent and monkeys <laughs> and have a nice, yeah. warm. Yeah. <laughs> I'll have to think about it. Brilliant. There may be a later November trip. <laughs> but we're I going. Think be, I think it'd be really neat to do a hot tent trip by canoe. Yeah. Ever since I saw the pictures that Johnny posted, it was like, oh, man, I want to do that. And we can bring some can- like some little uh, metal trays and pretend we're panning for gold just like the prospectors <laughs> did back in the day. Yes, you could. Oh, it'd be great. Absolutely <laughs> I, great. Be up for that. All righty. Uh, so, yeah, we're going up. Uh, there's going to be like six of us going on our trip. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you and Mikey are paddling together. Yeah. Me we and got uh, our buddies Smedley and Martin. Yeah. And uh, Man Camping and, and myself. Uh, we're coming in later Friday, though, Scott and I. Yeah, Smedley, Scott has to work. Or, uh, Man Camping and I are coming in uh, yeah. later on the Friday. Mm-hmm. So we expect uh, help on the portages. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to text you, and if if if... If if there's cell phone reception and you get a text, hey, we're just reaching the portage. <laughs> I expect you guys to meet us at least halfway down yeah. there. You know, just because yeah, we're not going to get there till later, and it's going to yeah. it gets darker sooner, right? Yeah. Um. So yeah. So there's still one one trip. It's supposed to be a nice weekend. They didn't say anything about snow Monday when we're coming out because we're doing four days. Monday is supposed to be drizzling a bit right now, on and off sort of thing. Nothing yeah. major. A couple of millimeters. So- like flurries Thursday night or something going in. So we'll have some, maybe a little bit of fresh snow. Then it's going to be clear and overcast. And But, yeah, it's it's going to be a good weekend. Yeah, the I temperatures so. are good. The weather's good. Yeah. It, and, you know, it doesn't matter. It's regardless of the weather, it's going to be a nice weekend just to get out that one last time. I love this this time of year. Like the, uh, like the horse flies and the mosquitoes, the black flies, not a problem. Snow snakes. <laughs> yes. This as long snow as they're not snakes. flying snow snakes, snow I'm okay. Snakes. <laughs> uh, we were at uh, the um, Canadian Museum of History last weekend. Yes, that's pretty cool. Uh, my daughter is, had to go and do some research for her master's. So I figured let's make a day of it. And so we did the big drive to Ottawa, picked up my brother, cruised across the border to Gatineau, uh, then to Quebec there and checked out the museum. And, uh, the first people's hall and the, the, um, they got a bunch of exhibits on the first, like, was it floor one and two? I think it is. And there's some really cool stuff there. The amount of canoes that yeah. they have on display and stuff like that. Some really nice stuff. Hmm. Uh, basically, they started the, on the first floor with the first people's um, exhibits. Yeah. And they worked their way to, as you go higher in the building, in the museum, top floor is like yeah. more current. Okay. Right? So they're talking Rennie Levesque and, mm-hmm. and all that sort of stuff. So the third floor, I think, is colonialism to the first world war and the fourth floor is like first world war to present day sort of thing. Yeah. Right. Uh, but the first two, yeah, I was, my brother and I were interested in the first two floors mostly. Uh, there was some really nice stuff. I posted a picture on our Facebook page. If you, one of the canoes there and I'm, I'm trying to figure out if it's the same 
birch bark canoe or not. From National Film Board? The National Film Board of Canada has a, a, a movie on there called Caesar's Bark Canoe. And this particular canoe that I saw at the museum was built by Caesar uh, Nawashish. And when you look at the one in the movie compared to this one, they look pretty identical. Uh, Just the angle of the one in the movie, I can't really see if that that bear is the same on the front. Uh, And I didn't really notice if the moose is on the front either. But all the little, what would you call those little frills under the gunnels, for lack of a better word, I guess. Yeah, it's just a design element, Yeah, it's right? the, the design looks the same and everything. So I'm wondering if this is the one that he built. Because this one was built in 1967. Mm-hmm. And that's pretty when that, that movie was made in that yeah. time period. Yeah. So I wonder if this is the same canoe from that movie. Which would be really cool, right? <laughs> yeah. But you're looking at it and you're just like, wow, this is so well done. Um, but yeah, I put, uh, that's up on our Facebook page. And if you've never seen that film, go to the National Film Board of Canada website and just you can, you can uh, search directors, yeah. movies, and all that sort of stuff. Caesar, C-E-S-A-R apostrophe S, Bark Canoe, and watch it. He starts with... It's a black and white film, and uh, I believe it's in Manawaki, Quebec, is where he was. Uh, and it starts and shows the entire process of building a cedar strip canoe. Or, or sorry, not a cedar strip, a birch bark canoe. Yes. I've been talking cedar strip so <laughs> much that <laughs> everything's a cedar strip. Uh, the birch bark canoe. But there's other ones that different displays, um, the First Peoples displays that were... Different. They showed some of the the Plains Indians and stuff, and um, all that sort of stuff, and uh, the e- the West Coast, the East Coast, and the different uh, even uh, Inuit way up north, uh, all that sort of stuff that they they had, and uh, yeah, some really really cool um, uh, displays and exhibits. Mm-hmm. I took so many pictures. What was the name of that museum you were at? The Canadian Museum of History. Canadian Museum of History. Yeah. So I just found a thing here. So you're wondering where his canoe is. So after he filmed for the National Film Board, once the festival's over, which is when he had made that canoe, mm-hmm. he donated that birch bark canoe to the ROM, the Royal Ontario Museum. Mm-hmm. And uh, so that's he gave it to the ROM. So that's where it is. So I wonder if the ROM still has it or if they've lent it to... Yeah, the Museum of they, History. They don't say that here, but they uh, it was at the ROM as of uh, 2018, and that's when this post was made. Hmm. So now you know. Now I know. Mm-hmm. But there were a lot of uh, birch bark canoes and from all across, and there were some dugout canoes and stuff like that. But yeah, I took so many pictures. It uh, um, wasn't well, not funny, man. I got. Yeah, way too many. <laughs> um, what else? What else? What else? Oh, uh, I, well, because my daughter said, hey, can you, do you want to go? And I paid for gas and I paid for everything else. There was a, a book I was looking at, and I don't know why I've never bought it before. 
The Last of the Wild Rivers, The Past, Present, and Future of the Riviere du Moine Watershed. Wally Shaber. He presented at the um, yes. Ontario Backcountry Canoe Symposium mm-hmm. a few years back. And uh, this book was, was, I think he was selling them there. I think Mike has that book and we used it for planning our Des Moines trip. Mm-hmm. I'm pretty sure. Well, anyway, I was looking at it and my daughter bought it for me. There you go. So now I got another book to read. <laughs> Do you want to read it? <laughs> Does it have pictures? It's got a couple of pictures. <laughs> so you'll just look, you'll, you'll take a quick look at the pictures and and then just give it back. <laughs> so I got another book to read. We'll read that one. Uh, what else? Oh, oh. So when we had to take down our tent, our canvas tent in the rain. Oh, yes. And you it got, got all dirty. nice and muddy. Canvas tent cleaner removes mildew, creosote, leaf stains, tree sap, bird droppings, grease, and oil. I heard it works pretty good. Biodegradable, will not harm fabrics or colors, non-chlorine, no harmful vapors. It doesn't say anything about mud. It cleans everything but mud. <laughs> anyway, I, it's a powder that you mix with water. Yeah. And then you can uh, use it to clean your... And it's by Esker. Yeah. Which, you know, we got rid of our Esker tent, but it'll work. So now we can the uh, set that up in our garage and... The tent that I bought, the winter tent that I bought this summer, yeah, he gave me a, a container of that exact stuff. Oh, did he? Yeah. And how did it work? Well, I haven't used it. <laughs> of course not. I only just got the tent. Like, what, two months ago? Three months ago? I haven't used it yet. <laughs> three months ago. Well, I haven't you used it. You figure in the summer you would have put it out on your lawn and cleaned it. No. Well, no, I, it's brand new. The tent's brand The guy used it once in the winter. Once. Oh, so he gave it to you for when it gets dirty. Yeah. Oh, yeah. okay, okay. Okay, no, we, we laid it out. I t- took a good look, and uh, that tent is in pristine condition. Awesome. Yeah. It was a good discount for a brand new And brand how big is it? Uh, 10 by 10, 10 by 11, 11 by 11, something like that. And when are you going to use it? Um, right now, tended to, well, I kind of thought about using it for our trip this, <laughs> this coming weekend. If you a little but, 10 by 10. Well, it's we are going to, we're thinking about going uh, this winter between Christmas and New Year's and going to McGregor Provincial Park and snowshoeing into uh, a remote site and, and spending, a, you know, four or five days with the kids out there. Mm. Mm-hmm. It's got the stove jack in it? It does. Uh, I bought a stove mm. off of too. So I got I got a couple sleds, tent, stove. Will it fit in a Will it, How many people will it sleep? Adult people, not... Adult like, people, people from with Oz. a stove, probably if if you didn't have cots, probably three or four people. Mm. Unless you get cozy, then maybe more. Oh, and you're bringing your hammock. Your hammock. Mm-hmm. So we could all sit in there while you're freezing your buns off. In the hammock. <laughs> well, my, I have uh, it's that new hammock we talked about it on a, I don't know eight episodes ago, ten episodes ago. It's uh, it's the it's the Opiongo. T- yeah, the A something. A, yeah, I can't remember. Yeah, it's a hammock. <laughs> wow. Mind like a steel trap. <laughs> exactly. Nothing gets in. <laughs> but yeah, so it's an insulated hammock tent. So it's got a big, uh, like a three or four inch uh, under under layer for insulation. And so, and it's a, it's one of those things that can either set up in a tree or you can set it up on the ground. Right. 
What? There's an A something in that yeah. in the name. I can't remember what it is. Hmm. <laughs> I, was just, I had it in my hands there today too. I just didn't. I looked at the Opiongo name on it, but it was. Uh, you know, I bet if I. Just, it, you're gonna Google it. You're gonna Google it. Uh, while you're googling, Neil Moore. He's the uh, fellow that's been paddling across uh, the United States. Started in February, 2020. And he was paddling 12,000 kilometers, 22 rivers, 22 states from Oregon to New York. He's been averaging 40 kilometers a day. And after 20 months, he has covered over 11,000 kilometers and is in his final state. So he's in New York State now. John was hoping uh, to meet up with him while he was on his trip, but that didn't happen. So as he comes close to the trail, an expected obstacle has arisen. You know how John paddled the Erie Canal? Yes. The Erie Canal is now closed. Yes. <laughs> and John had just finished his trip when it closed. He was like they were chasing him off at the very end of his trip. Neil Moore has been forced to embark on a 170-mile portage <laughs> from Syracuse to <laughs> Albany. Wow. He's using wheels and a harness to pull his laden canoe along the Erie Canal Way Trail. So that would be the uh, cart trail that yeah, was... Yeah, where the donkeys would pull yeah. the, the freight. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. So John got out of there at a good time, yeah. but... <laughs> This guy, not if, so much. Yeah, if Neil would have uh, started maybe a month earlier, uh, you know, like in January. Uh, he says, I'm really looking forward to the Hudson River at Albany uh, to be able to put my canoe back in the water. <laughs> he hopes to cross the finish line Statue of Liberty on December 14th. John Van Berger, you got lucky. Yes, I know. Can you imagine? 170 mile. Yeah. What's that, like 900 kilometers? Oh, 10,000 kilometers. 10,000 kilometers. Yeah. yeah, something like that. Uh, I don't know anymore. One so John had better had, had better planning ability because all he was doing was the Erie Canal. Mm -hmm. Whereas uh, this guy, he was, he, he did like. The entire any, United States. Yeah. Like yeah. how many kilometers? Well, how many miles is that? 10,000? Well, it's going to be, he's done 11,000. 11,000 kilometers or miles. Miles, yeah. 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 So, yeah, so his his schedule is a bit different than Jen John's was. Well, and the thing is, like, you think, well, why don't you just portage around the the, the locks? Yeah. But we, as, as John heard, found out, exactly. you can't. Yeah. You know, there's a couple that you can get out at the locks, but. Uh, like some of the areas are, like, this is a, this is a uh, uh, excavated channel. So a lot of the walls are just vertical walls. So you, you go up and it's like, well, that's a, you know, a five or six foot high stone wall. I'm not going to mm -hmm. be able to climb out of here. I wonder if they leave, because I know they lower the water and I know I've actually seen it empty. Mm -hmm. The, um. For maintenance and stuff. Uh, what's the canal down, the Welland Canal. Oh, yeah. In the winter. Yeah. I've seen that empty. Yeah. But I, I didn't know if they were doing some maintenance, maintenance yeah. stuff on it or not, but. Um, yeah. Yeah, we're getting Just leave close the doors to, open and... Yeah. Hmm. We're getting close to the end of the season for that canal as well. Yeah. Like you, I'm starting to see, uh, normally in the summer you go down Lake Ontario, you see some of the big ships going by and in the last week I've seen so many ships. They're all making their final runs of the season now. Yep. Yep. They got to get in there or get out. Up. Uh, what other... Oh, speaking of ships, you hear about the Canadian Coast Guard ship? 
lost 109 containers and was overboard. The Coast Guard ship. It was the Coast Guard who were trying to put the. Fire. Oh, sorry. Yeah, the yeah. Sorry, the the owner of the ship lost. They say the yeah. Canadian Coast Guard says the ship yeah. lost 109 containers. Yeah, um, overboard in stormy weather, and they've hired a contractor to recover the bins loaded with cargo. So this a little bit here. It says a statement that a salvage team was using thermal cameras to find remaining hot spots on this ship after some of the containers caught fire. Active firefighting operations continued uh, in, late last week um, in containers that were holding tires. <laughs> a tire fire on board a ship. Nice, eh? Awesome. Zoiks. Five containers have been spotted. Of this 109 at the very northern tip of Vancouver Island, more than 400 kilometers away. So in a week. Yeah. They've floated 400 kilometers. Yeah. It's quite the current, eh? But two containers carrying hazardous materials have not been found. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, the Coast Guard says trajectory modeling shows the containers were still floating uh, that are still floating will continue to drift north. Now, <laughs> if you live in the north, keep your peepers open. Yes. Now, you said that they found... So, yeah. So, I saw it on the news that night on CBC, and uh, they, they sent an aerial shot of this giant sea container, this big brown sea container. It was like 20 or 30 feet up on a rocky shore and strewn like for a couple hundred meters either direction of this uh, busted open bin. It was just the whole beach and, and edge of the woods was all these stainless steel refrigerators. Samsung, <laughs> we know where your where your, your, your container is. <laughs> so what, well, as you saw, it's like all this, you want to call it debris, but these are like brand new fridges sitting on the beach. Frigidaire. <laughs> in the frigid air. Exactly. <laughs> well, uh, what does this have to do with paddling, you may say? Some of the containers contain stand-up paddle boards yeah so if you're lucky enough to find one <laughs> you yeah. got yourself a fortune yeah. you got a couple thousand uh, paddle uh, boards yeah you got all these <laughs> paddle boards and if you've been waiting for your paddle board that's on order and your <laughs> your dealer calls you and said there's been a slight delay <laughs> chances are <laughs> you know where your paddle board is we know what the delay is <laughs> I uh, hope they hopefully they find all that stuff and get it out of the ocean. Well, the good thing about that bin is that uh, the paddle boards are naturally buoyant, so they're going to help keep that <laughs> sea container floating on the surface. Cargo in the containers include industrial and car parts, Christmas decorations, sofas, poker tables, clothing, toys, yoga mats, stand-up paddle boards, and other everyday items. Yeah. So it's it, like. Because of everything trying to get back up to speed, all there's all these shipping delays. So already there's shipping delays, but now some of your stuff is just missing. Well, I'm looking at this. I could take one of these uh, containers, decorate it with Christmas decorations, sofa, some poker <laughs> tables. Have my buddies over, clothing. Yeah, do some yoga. <laughs> do some stand up paddle boarding. I can do some stand up paddle boarding yoga. Yeah, everyday uh, other items. It's a lot of expensive gear in a company. Yeah. Wow. Just float in the ocean. Yep. Awesome. And one of the things I've heard, I, and I've seen it quite a few times, and it's taken out a few ships, but uh, 
some of these uh, long-haul sailors and, and fishermen who are out in the open ocean, like, it's not unheard of to, like, these spins float, like, just at the surface. Mm-hmm. They're all full. They, they're not waterproof. They're not, they, they'll fill with water and just depending on what they're carrying may maintain the container buoyant. And so I've heard about sailboats coming along and just ripping the keel right off their sailboats or they're like middle of the night, three in the morning, pitch dark, black night. They have no idea. And all of a sudden, bang. So these things can sit out there and it's a, it's a navigational hazard. Just don't know that they're there and it's solid steel, right? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. So it's, uh, it'll rip the keel right off your boat. Well, there is apparently a, was it a U.S. submarine in the China Sea? East, was it the oh, South, yeah. South China Sea? They were sneaking around in there. Uh-huh. Well, apparently there's a new little mountaintop that pops. Every so often, I guess, stuff comes up. Oh. Volcanic activity oh, yeah. or whatever. Apparently the old Sea Wolf submarine, nuclear submarine, was traveling along. Oh, no. They didn't know it when they figured out what it was. And apparently China isn't filling everybody in on the details on new and emergency, uh, emerging geological formations or whatever. But they're also, the the Chinese are, so you, everybody has a 200 mile limit Mm -hmm. for economical limit for fishing and whatever. Yeah. And then it shrinks down for other reasons. But anyways, so if you have land, you have a 200 mile limit. If you happen to build an island, which is what the Chinese are doing, it increases their 200 mile limit. And so they're out there dredging the bottom of the ocean and creating islands where there used to be navigable waterways. Well, now there's a big dent in one of their islands. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. A nuclear sub ran into it. Oops, my bad. <laughs> Phil, you're not driving anymore. Yes. But that wasn't on the chart last week. Yeah, it's not like you can look out the window. Uh, let's talk Pennsylvania. This is a big hot topic, and I know it's, it's yeah, people are going to, blah, 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 blah. Uh, beginning November 1st and lasting through April 30th. So this is the winter months. Mm-hmm. They have a Wear It Pennsylvania program. Only in the winter. Only in the winter. Boaters are required to wear a U.S. Coast Guard approved life jacket while underway or at anchor on boats less than 16 feet in length or on any canoe, kayak, or paddleboard. And the requirement applies to all Pennsylvania waters. So, you know, people say, well, it's in the boat. It's in the boat with me. No, it's got to be on. on Uh, The the interest in boating, especially paddling in Pennsylvania, has continued to increase over the past several seasons, and people will stay busy on the water well into the fall months. Boaters should be aware that water temperatures begin to drop rapidly at this time of year, and even on sunny days when air temperatures are comfortable and warm, the water can be cold enough to put boaters at risk for sudden cold water immersion. Life jacket can keep your head above water until help arrives. Sudden cold water immersion or cold water shock occurs when person is unexpectedly plunged into cold water below 7 degrees, 70 degrees Fahrenheit, resulting in an involuntary gasp where water is often inhaled. This uncontrollable reaction causes panic, hyperventilation, inhalation of water, and inhibits the ability of a person to swim. So it makes sense that it's mandatory in the winter mm-hmm. when it's colder to wear the life jackets. 
According to Pennsylvania boating accident reports, nearly 80% of all boating fatalities occurring uh, occurred because boaters are not wearing their life jackets. Mm-hmm. Prior to this life jacket wearing life jacket wearing requirement being enacted in 2012, a disproportionate number of deaths happened between November and April. Since then, the commission has seen a significant drop in the percentage of boating incidents that result in fatalities during the cold winter months. You're talking, well, like late canoe trips, late fishing trips, hunting. Mm-hmm. And that, and they're going through these things, you know, people that, well, like there's a, there's a, if you, if you go to, if you Google wear it, Pennsylvania, or go to fishandboat.com, click the news button for more, you'll find a lot more information. Uh, there's also a, a FAQ section and they say, well, you know, it's going to interfere, interfere when, when, uh, I'm hunting, you know, when I got to shoot a rifle. No, they have, they have, um, life jackets that are specifically designed to keep hunters in mind. Would you hunt from a boat? Duck hunting. Oh, okay. Got it. Sorry. Yep. I wasn't even thinking of that. See, I'm not, obviously I'm not a hunter. (laughs) Well, we've, (laughs) we've come across a bunch of boy, uh, decoys (laughs) on paddling trips going, Hey, look at these ducks. Oh, wait a minute. Those are decoys. Ooh. (laughs) (laughs) And then you, I remember you were on the, you were on the Trent Severn. You look up and there's guys looking at you. (laughs) There's guys. (laughs) There's a blind right on there and these are all their decoys. (laughs) Say something before I get there so we don't come in. Yeah. You know. See, I was visualizing, uh, I was thinking, why would somebody be hunting deer from a canoe or whatever? And mm-hmm. It's like, oh, I forgot about ducks. Yeah, they let the deer come right up to the water, <laughs> get into the canoe, and then they shoot it. <laughs> Saves time. Yeah, exactly. Preload. Uh, so, yeah, so November 1st to April 30th, you have to have it on if you're in the canoe or mm-hmm. kayak, stand-up paddleboard, or anything under 16 feet in length. You have to have it on at all times. Yeah. Even if you're just sitting there fishing, it's got to be on. Yeah. It's good. It's going to save some lives. Mm-hmm. Uh, what else do I got here? I got a whole bunch of papers here. I know. You got so I much got that. I got that. I hardly helped at all. Oh, a little bit of sad news. Oh. Tom oh. Mori passed away October 14th at the age of 86. It sounds like local news, doesn't it? <laughs> Tom Mori, inventor of the boogie board, died. Yeah, the, the boogie board, man. Everybody knows what the boogie boards yep. are. There are paddle out memorials. This is pretty cool. You know, we talk about the canoe in, the canoe community, the paddling community, the, the camping community and stuff like this and surfing, stand-up paddle boarding, all that sort of stuff. There are paddle out memorials being planned for November 6th in San Clement, uh, Newport Beach, uh, Pier, uh, Oceanside. There's some being planned in Germany, Australia, Colorado, North Carolina, and Hawaii. There are, they say there's probably more people using boogie boards on lakes and rivers than in the actual ocean. Yes. Right? Yeah. Uh, our kids use them. Well, it's it's a starter thing. Yeah. I, yeah. And uh, I think I have yours. Yeah. You gave me all yours. We gave you, yeah. Yeah. yeah for your kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, Maury was about people coming together to create and innovate, to connect with one another and enjoy the thrill of the ocean. The boogie board just turned 50 this year. Crazy, eh? Yeah. His first major invention was the wingtip surfboard design, and he is credited with popularizing the removable fin 
which was great for travel. Mm-hmm. You can stand up paddle boards. You get the removable fins, yeah. right? Yeah. Hmm. Rest in peace, Tom. Yes. Uh, I don't need that. I don't need that. I got too many papers here, man. <laughs> what else I got? I want to save that one for the end because that's pretty cool. Uh, oh, let's talk canoes. Old canoes. And we found an extra really old, canoe just old canoes. Uh oh, what's going on? Something's going on here. I'm having issues. Uh, I posted something on our Facebook page. So down in southern Mexico, archaeologists have discovered a well-preserved wooden canoe that may be more than a thousand years old. Used by the Maya, the vessel was submerged in a cenote uh, near the ruins of Chichen Itza. I almost called it what you... <laughs> yeah, I won't even say it. I, I've actually <laughs> been to Chichen Itza, and it's uh, it's a pretty cool cool place. I've seen it on a map. Uh, well, I saw it on <laughs> the map right before I got there. Uh, the canoe is just over five feet long, two and a half feet wide, and it may have been used to gather water from the cenote or deposit offerings there. The Mexico's National Institute of Anthropology and History uh, saying this, and that researchers with them have tentatively, date, tentatively dated the canoe between 830 and 950 CE. That's incredible. And they're saying they, oh, uh, the experts from Sorbonne University in Paris are using dendrochronology. There's a big word. <laughs> dendrochronology. There you go. A dating method based on tree rings found in wood to pinpoint the boat's exact age. So they're what? Comparing, they know what years had certain amount of growth. So if you had a series of five years with low growth, you look for those five years, I guess you could kind of pinpoint. Uh, through. Yeah, just start adding them up. But um, you don't know when it was cut down. Well, it's. You know how old it was when the tree was chopped down. If they do. I don't, I'm, I'm not, <laughs> do I look like it? I can barely say the word, Derek. <laughs> they stop growing after you cut them down. <laughs> no, they don't. It used to be a four foot canoe. Now it's five feet. <laughs> you know nothing. Uh, the first complete, uh, they, they describe this find as a fir- first complete canoe like this in the Maya area. They f- found fragments of similar boats in Guatemala, Belize, uh, and the Mexican state of Quintana Roo, which is pretty cool. So you know it's been around for, yeah. and made the rounds too, yeah. this this uh, style of boat. They found a cave in the cenote table 15 feet below the current water level at a spot that marked the pool surface centuries ago. And inside the cave was the canoe. They found mural paintings, ceremonial knife and fragments, and 40 pottery vessels that were likely intentionally broken as part of ritual events. Huh. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. So they found a whole bunch of stuff here. Um, and if the, they say if the archaeologists are right about the age of the canoe, it was made around the end of the Maya classic period, which is dubbed the culture's golden age. Hmm. Yeah. So that's, pre- that's pretty cool. Uh, Chichen Itza itself was home to around 35,000 people at its peak. So 35,000 people. That's a high population. And they've only found one canoe yeah well you right. know if this 
one was found because it's in this uh, freshwater mm-hmm. uh, cenote. Fr- cenote. Yeah. So this that, and so cold water, low oxygen, it's not going to rot as fast. Everything else is just degraded so much that they disappear, right? So mm-hmm. this one just had to be in the. It's in the right conditions to preserve it. By the time the Spanish forces arrived in the region in the 16th century, Chichen Itza and the rest of the Maya major cities had been mostly abandoned for reasons that remain unclear. Huh. Aliens. <laughs> Spanish bringing the flu mm-hmm. or whatever. Uh, they've put the site under protection in response to evidence of looting. Uh, teams transferred ceramic and bone fragments or bone items, sorry, found at the site to the archaeological zone of Chichen Itza. It also plans to make 3D model of the boat for research pro- uh, purposes and to facilitate the production of replicas for display in museums. So as we're looking at that one, thinking that's that's pretty cool, as we're doing this, up pops a little thing saying, archaeologists excavate ancient canoe from Lake Mendota in Wisconsin. Yes. And they're saying this thing is about, they figured it's 1,200 years old. It was uh, about 30 feet of water. Uh, they they uh, found that earlier this year, and they've just excavated it this week. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. That's how fresh, hmm. hot off the press off the press. It's just well, happened. Well, considering they're all wearing wetsuits or, yeah. and what is so cold off the press. Mm-hmm. Uh, they figure it's 1,200 years. That means the canoe was uh, used around 800 AD, an era that Aligns with effigy mount. Now, see, they're using AD, whereas this other one is CE. CE mean? Isn't the current era or something like that? Uh, yeah. yeah, I don't know. AD is wasn't that anno, anno domino? Anno domini. Domini is that what it was? Yeah, I don't know. Eight hundred years ago. <laughs> <laughs> uh, absolutely phenomenal discovery. They're saying it's going to tell us so much about how the people. Uh, subsisted on the lake and how they traveled and how they traded. Uh, the fact it sunk, but it looks like it was, uh, one picture looks like it might be two pieces put together and the other looks like it's just a dugout canoe. Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. The find was discovered with net sinkers, which indicates the vessel was once used for fishing. And the canoe provides an opportunity to expand understanding of the people and culture who were in the Wisconsin before European settlers arrived. Uh-huh. <laughs> That's that pretty cool, cool. Eh? So they're finding all these yeah. things like that yeah. now. 1,200 years, they figure. It's amazing, eh? Yeah. Shipwrecks here are some of the best preserved in the world. That's why we're pulling out a fully preserved wooden canoe that's over 1,000 years old. Well, knowing John and his accident proneness, <laughs> I'm wondering if it's like sunken boats are like a Wisconsin thing. Maybe. Yeah. Maybe John just comes from a long line of bad <laughs> Wisconsin paddlers. <laughs> <laughs> Love you, John. <laughs> so, yeah, a couple of uh, thousand year old plus canoes. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, what else we got? Oh, we got two. Two things here. Do you want to talk trot lines or kayak jack? Let's talk trot lines. Yes, I was going to say that. Uh, Trot lines. So I had no clue what trot lines were. Yeah, I had to Google it. Right. So basically, a trot line is a long line with a bunch of different hooks on it. 
and they stick this thing, well, I guess there's a float or something that holds it at the surface, yep. and then it goes down to the bottom of the river and goes out for however long, like, like up to 40 hooks. Yeah. Um, and so that they can catch multiple fish at the same time. So it's supposed to be, I guess, lay along the Long, bottom. bottom of, yeah. Right? Bottom of so catfish yeah. and, and stuff like that. A Kentucky stu- – or sorry, a Kentucky. Um, this is in Tennessee. So that's close. <laughs> <laughs> a kayak student was entangled in a trot line. A, the safety and inst- top safety instructor cut the line to prevent injuries to other paddlers – floating down the river and now he's facing criminal charges. Yeah. Which it's, yeah, I, it's, I'm surprised by that because he, he claims that he was, uh, it was a safety issue. Yeah. Right. Like he already got hooked into it. So they were Memorial day weekend. They were, uh, teaching a class and one of the students became entangled in the trot line with up to 40 hooks Trot line is a heavy fishing line with baited hooks attached at intervals to catch multiple fish on one line. He untangled himself, removed the large fish hook, which was embedded in his, his life jacket, jacket. Yeah. and then Fisher cut uh, the rest of the line in case other paddlers or tubers floating down the river later in the holiday weekend. He didn't want them getting caught up in it as well. No name was attached to the line, which was is required by Tennessee Wildlife Re- uh, Resources Association, and the group, as- group assumed the line was abandoned. Okay, so already it's... Yeah. Right? It's questionable. Yeah, it's like, hey, is this actually in service? Is it, did somebody mm-hmm. forget it here? Did it just happen to float down the river? So now he's facing criminal misdemeanor charges of violating the Hunter Protection Act and taking of a fish caught by another... After a grand jury indicted him in September, he was <laughs> Jeez, booked that's... at the jail, fingerprinted, and had his booking photo taken before he was released. If that line had hooked a seven-year-old girl in the face, if it had hooked her, it would have pulled her under and she would have drowned. And that's not exaggerating. That's me as a rescue professional saying what would happen. Yeah, the potentials. Like, yeah. You, mm-hmm. And so apparently he had it straight out into the river instead of going with current. Although trot lines are illegal in some states, they are allowed to run across moving water bodies in Tennessee. And that part of the river where they were, uh, where the class was paddling, was only two miles from North Carolina border, where trot lines can only run parallel to the shore. Yeah. See, and that, that, I mean, if it's across the shore, uh, like shore to shore, you're getting fish coming anywhere across yes, the river. Exactly. Where if it's parallel to the shore, you're only getting that one little area of fish that are <laughs> swinging by it. So realistically, I can see why they want it shore yeah. to shore. Yeah. Cover more area, well, right? Well, it makes sense, yes. And there, and he claims that there, it was mounted on the bottom of the river. Mm-hmm. And although the, what, how the person got caught, if that was on the bottom of the river, is, you know, is something that's kind of yeah. left up in the air. Uh... They found that this the the line belonged to this AJ Silvers, um, and Fisher returned the line to him. And Silvers' home is on the bank of the river, and he came to check his line when the kayaking group was floating by. Otherwise, like I said, no name or anything on it. He yeah. would have had no idea whose it was. Uh, Silvers 
confronted the group of kayakers, posted a video of the confrontation on Facebook, where it garnered more than 40,000 views and hundreds of comments. Wow. Many of the comments highlighted tension between paddler and fishing communities over sharing the river. And this goes back to the whole um, guy taking shots at people as they're paddling oh, yeah. on the river that. by yeah. his land, mm-hmm. right? And he's, uh, yeah, he went to jail and all that mm-hmm. sort of, but that's always, it's, uh, it's, it's, it becomes a really high tension thing. Yeah. You know, like the water's there for everybody to use. So why are you Let's just all do it. it? Yeah. Do it safely. Right. He says his line couldn't have floated up as it was on the bottom of the river floor secured by bricks. He said he has had as many as five trot lines cut this year. Lines can cost up to $250 each to make. That's so, expensive. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So as for the fishermen, but, it makes, he's like, he doesn't want to lose his fishing line. Yeah. But yeah. If, if you go over, even if the guy tipped. Yeah. What if you're floating along and kind of recover trying to recover your equipment mm-hmm. like just like uh when when you're in the water they always say watch your you don't get your foot caught because the you'll be stuck there the current's going to pull you under and and so same thing if you get hooked by a fish hook and and the water flow flows over you and pushes you down to the bottom well. yeah so this fisherman says we've not liked each other for a long time the fishermen and the rafters <laughs> it's like <laughs> the hatfields and mccoys yes 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 right Uh, He says he believes the lines are cut by out-of-towners using the river for recreation since the people of the county are familiar with the fishing style and likely use it themselves. Hmm. So, and here's, he gets into their side, the fisherman side of it. So what the kayakers view as a nuisance is a way of life for the people in Irwin. He's been making and setting trot lines since he was at least five years old. And it was a bonding activity with his dad. Says now a young adult, he and his friends spend time making trot lines with each other. They're primarily used to catch catfish and they're submerged and baited to attract catfish and that lurk along the riverbed. So unless it it was either a very shallow river it, yeah. which is how dude rolled or something got into his life jacket, or no it wasn't stuck to the bottom. It was floating, I know. Right? Exactly. Right? So what are you doing? He's not going to be rolling around on the bottom of the riverbed, right? Mm-hmm. So they had to be floating up on the surface. Yeah. Uh, it says, yeah, the efficiency of the lines helps people to pack their freezers. It's the only way some people in Irwin have access to food. So you can see both sides of it. Yeah. Um, so they're... they're Checking all that sort of stuff. And it says, well, they say there's some feuding between trout fishers and kayakers who disturb the water in heavily fished areas. Most are happy to share the river. And that's what you have to get is is do that, you know, happiness, compromise. And since we just ask anyone out on the river, respect everybody else where you're out there enjoying it. Says fishers, hopefully his charges will be dismissed and he'll be off the hook. <laughs> Unintended, <laughs> but his arrest has sparked a push by paddlers to pressure the state into changing the trot line law. They want the state to require trot lines to run parallel to river shores, like in North Carolina, in hope of curbing, curbing any safety risks. Paddlers have launched a petition calling on the state to make the change. And see, like if we went down there, I'd have no no clue about something like that. I know, right? I just this is the oh, first time I've ever yeah. heard of a trot line. If I saw a fishing line in the river, I think, oh, somebody lost their line. Yeah, I wouldn't think that it's. I mean, we went down to Nashville a couple of years ago, mm-hmm. and if I decided happened to be in that area and decided to go out for a little tootle, yeah, and went over, 
Got caught up in it. And got caught up in it. Pulled one. under the water. Yeah. I have no clue that it was even there. Uh, and like the um, uh, Fisher was saying, like, if you had a little girl or a little kid. Yeah. And gets hooked. Hooked in the face. They're going, or- because if, it, if, they're, if the current's pulling them that way. Yeah. And you're anchored on that end. It's going to pull you under. You're going right under. Mm-hmm. Yeesh. Yeesh. So, yeah, they've got to come up with some sort of compromise or some sort of flagging system that shows, hey, there's trot lines here. Be careful. Mark one end. Mark the other end. You know, that sort of thing or something. Uh, the last thing I've got, Kayak Jack. This was pretty cool. Yeah, that's pretty I yeah. like this yeah. one. Uh, I came across this one. So, there's this fella, Nathan Kipley, 38. Lives in Appleton, Wisconsin. He's a aircraft maintenance technician who, on the side, writes books and creates wild treasure hunts. That's pretty cool. So he wrote a book called Kayak Jack and the Five Treasures. The book follows the adventures of a young boater named Jack who enjoys leaving treasures for people to find. He, when him and his wife had their first two kids... Um, well, I guess they're only two kids as far as I know. <laughs> he would tell them stories of Kayak Jack, the worst kayaker in the world. Right. <laughs> um, and then he, you know, he's, he's went on to, he grew, he, he loved the movie, the Goonies. Right. Yeah. Uh, they find that if anybody hasn't seen the movie, the Goonies, they find a uh, bunch of kids find this treasure map to one eyed Willie's pirate treasure. And, <laughs> and uh, you know, it's the whole, hey, you guys, the whole, you know, yeah. thing. Uh, and they find at the end, they find this pirate's treasure. And, you know, so Nathan wrote these books and basically Kayak Jack hides five treasures, fictional Kayak Jack. Yes. In his book, Hides Five Treasures. As you read the book, you can follow the clues as Kayak Jack is paddling by to an actual real treasure that Nathan, the author, has put out. (laughs) So wherever Jack puts the treasure in the fictional story... Nathan puts one in real life. Similar. Yeah, exactly. So, uh, Lysel Signori, uh, Sigourney, Sigourney and Paige Jacken. Uh, Lysel called up her, fr- her friend and said, listen, there's this book. Are you, you know, my aunt told me about it. I read it. And do you want to go check it out? See if we can find it. And they started doing it. And uh, the box was apparently hidden. Yeah. Follow all the clues. In Wisconsin, they figured out that it was in the Chain Lakes area. One of the lakes in the book is called Marl Lake. And in the Chain, uh, Waupaca area chain of lakes in Wisconsin... There is a Morrow Lake there as well. So they figured it had to be in that area. So they went, we'll go check it out. And um, they'll go. So there's five different 
treasures buried, I guess. So this one is close to them, and they figured between the two of them and the ant, they would follow all the clues and think, and they narrowed it down to Marl Lake. And so they went and checked it out, and they were paddling around, couldn't find it, uh, looking for it. I mean, looking for it itself was the fun part, getting out there, paddling. It's and, part of the adventure. Uh, yeah. It cemented their friendship, uh, especially as the frustration and doubts of not finding the treasure grew through the weeks. Through the weeks. Yeah, I know. They were, yeah, <laughs> it it wasn't, wasn't a weekend yeah, do. Yeah. The weeks. They were solid in their agreement that their treasure was on Morrow Lake. Um, and because in the section the book where Jack was on the chain of lakes, right? Yeah. Several weekends with paddling sessions last from about three to five hours. Then as they were about to give up the first time, Nathan posted a picture of a beer can on his kayak Jack's Facebook page and it revived the two friends to get back out there. They returned to the lake. They just sucked them right back in. <laughs> it's like, yeah, you know what? We're not going to yeah. find it. Uh, they returned to the lake on the weekend of October 2nd and 3rd, going out each day because they were sure they'd find the treasure, and they didn't. We, 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 were, we were talking about point. the um, Paddle in the Park contest. Yes. Right? Paddle in the Park. Where um, they give out little clues, and yeah. you got to go try to find one of these paddles, yeah. which uh, myself, Tracy, and Alan Drummond went out one weekend because we were sure <laughs> we knew exactly where it was and we got there and we actually met somebody else that said, we know exactly where it was and it's not there. And we talked to them and they go, it's not there. Huh. And we went to check it out because we didn't trust them <laughs> and it was not there, <laughs> but it's the same sort of thing, right? So, uh, Liesl says, we were really discouraged. We were rethinking everything Dejected, they sent a message to Nathan telling him that they were abandoning the search, but thanking him for a great experience and for inspiring them to explore Morrow Lake. He responded saying something about if the two women ever got the chance to kayak down the Crystal River, they should. Now, since he's from the area, they weren't sure. Is that a clue? Oh, yeah. Or is yeah, he yeah. just saying, hey, you know what? You know, if, if you want to go back and check, then go back and check. But if you don't want to go back and check, but you want to go paddling, check out Crystal River. Yeah. So they didn't know. Uh, they thought, well, you know, it, was that another clue or was it just telling them to go to Crystal River? They decided they had to return to the area one more time. Suck them in, right? Yeah. This point, it was like we were in too deep. We just had to find this. We spent too much time. We could not give up. Basically, it came down to, you know what, when else? When else will we have the ability and the opportunity to go on a real-life treasure hunt? So, along with Paige's aunt and uncle, they paddled down the river, and just as they were about to get to Morrow Lake, they looked into a sort of backwater area from the river's main channel, and that's when Paige spotted the can. The two women were are still basking in the glow of the, the victory. Um... So the can was tied to a string, string was tied to a rock, rock yeah, was tied so, to a little trust, chest. Uh, as soon as I saw it, I was like, Liesl, you have to get over here. I think we have it. And since Liesl was the one that got Paige into it, she figured she should be the one that should pull yeah. it up. There was some weight to it. There it was, a treasure box tied to a big rock. The box contained a prize of $500. 
but the money was secondary to the victory of finding. And that's, that's I can the, see that too. Yeah. It's you know it's, what? Okay, yeah. five hundred bucks is cool. It's not the destination; it's the journey. It. Yeah, <laughs> you know, uh, the trip on a foggy morning in October 9th was the last ditch effort. Yeah. So yeah, it's uh, um, that's cool. Mm-hmm. The fact yeah. that Nathan um, Kipley did this is really cool. So there's four yeah. others out there. I don't know if anybody's found them or not. But uh, we just we found this one because it's uh, on the water, right? But the fact that he did that, and he's been writing since he's in his early 20s. Uh, the Kayak Jack books, he wants to share his love of Wisconsin, the outdoor recreational opportunities it offers. He's lived in Florida and Georgia for several years before returning to Wisconsin. That experience deepened his appreciation for Wisconsin's parks, waterways, and public spaces. Says so. Page and Liesel's experience was exactly what I'd hoped would happen. It makes me happy to hear about that. And they make this fun. That's that's cool. That is, and it's like uh, who's the who's the guy that uh, he had uh, something buried in the mountains and oh, West uh, Finn, Finn, Forrest Finn, Forrest Finn. So there's there's all these little and you know there's there's all these stories about this and that and for most part it's it's people just getting into the challenge of of discovering something mm-hmm. right well you know and he so he's got a little YouTube thing there and uh, if you Google kayak Jack and the five treasures there's a whole bunch of different things um, but that's what he wanted more than anything I mean for people to enjoy the books. But if they realize that the treasure, there could be a treasure. Oh, you're waiting, totally into it. Getting people out there yeah. and having fun. It's just like being a little kid again. Yeah. And oh, he's, yeah. he's totally succeeded. Scavenger hunt. That's, uh, that's really cool. That is re- like hats off to that. You know, um, now they just need to do one like in Ajax. <laughs> yes, there you go. Just so I don't have to travel too <laughs> yeah, far. Yeah, you don't want to go too far. I don't want to go. I'm not going to. But I told, uh, John Van Berger about this. Oh, yeah? Oh, well, he's there. He's in Wisconsin. Yeah. Uh, if he goes out and he finds one, yeah, we get I cut. want a finder's fee. <laughs> I want a finder's fee. <laughs> um, I think that's all I got. I've got nothing. You got, I got nothing. I got nothing. Uh, let's There's see. a few interesting things I came across, but they don't really apply to paddling. Like, you know, 28 feet of snow in three days, stuff like that. Oh, that was um, out west, right? Yeah, out in Alaska. There's a mountain range, uh, and they, it, it was uh, this, uh, this uh, they call it a atmospheric river, and it dumped estimated 28 feet of snow into a mountain va- mountainous valley over three days, just after uh, Halloween. 28 feet of snow. Weather service says snow will be heavy at times. It's like, oh, come on. Don't get much heavier. <laughs> no. <laughs> 28 feet of snow. Like, wow. how does a wild animal survive something like that? Like, if you're, if you're a bear or an elk or, or something off in the, in the barren lands out there and, and you end up with 20, 28 feet of snow? Whoa. You better be digging a long time. <laughs> yes. You're constantly. <laughs> yeah. That would, yeah. Wow. That had a huge impact. Shocking. And... What's good though? It's it's uh, meltwater that'll fill all those spring streams for people to do their uh, their whitewater trips next spring. Mm-hmm. There you go. 
Dun, dun, dun. See, I brought around full loop paddling again. See, see, see. <laughs> I ain't getting the hang of it. Uh, I think this week when we're out canoe tripping, next, hopefully we're bringing recording gear with us. Yes, I'm hoping to bring recording gear. Yeah, that's a key thing. We, uh, what do we have coming up, folks? This episode today is two ninety nine. So episode 500 is just around the corner. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Episode 500 coming up in a couple of years. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. uh, Four four years down the road. Yeah. Wow. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Episode 300 next week. Mm Mm-hmm. How exciting is that? We're going fishing. We'll have an actual fireside chat. Episode 300. We'll just play music for the whole episode. <laughs> we won't talk. We'll do our intro. We'll do our exit, and it'll just be music. <laughs> Not even paddling related. Yeah. It'll just be stuff from 1920s. <laughs> <laughs> Billy Bob and the Hurdy Gurdy. Yeah. There we go. Um, yeah. So I guess that's all I got this week. Mm-hmm. Uh, was- if you want to find out more about us, you can find us at paddlingadventuresradio.com. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can download or stream our episodes on iTunes, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Podbean, iHeartRadio, Player FM, and all your favorite podcast downloading sites. You can go to the episode page at Battling Adventures Radio and uh, listen to all our episodes, stream them, download them, whatever you want to do. If you enjoy the podcast, please share it with your friends, family, and fellow paddlers. I want to thank everybody for listening this week. I'm Sean Rowley. And I'm Derek Specht. We'll see you next time. <laughs>